Welcome to the Quantum Alignment Q&A, Humboldt series, where we traverse through an array of healing modalities to educate, empower, and excite our listeners on their path of holistic health and wellness. In sharing various practitioners' experiences and insight, we hope to cultivate a deeper relationship between one's true self, the mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional bodies. Join naturopath, transpersonal psychologist, and cannabis therapy consultant, Dr. Pepper Hernandez, in the Humboldt Quantum Alignment Series. And now, here is your host, Dr. Pepper Hernandez. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for taking time to be present with us today. I am just thrilled to have a special guest with us here in the office. Her name is Sam Akers. Sam is a yoga teacher. She is a therapeutic yoga teacher, a massage therapist. She weaves concentration insight into all of her trainings, her workshops, private sessions, and this is the exciting part. She believes that the ability to stay present is the key to power of self-healing and love. Hello. Hello. Tell us how we can get there. <laughs> how do you get that, right? Please, please, please. How please. do you get that? Oh, You're welcome. Goodness. Thank you so Thanks, much for being Pepper. here. Really. Thank you for yeah. having me. I'm so excited to I'm, be here. I'm excited to finally <laughs> sit down and tune in with all of these things. I've had yeah. questions for you for weeks now. <laughs> Whenever I found out that you had said yes, and by the way, you were on top of it. Yeah. Kendall said you were the most on top of it person. <laughs> She'd come across. This is how I so, roll. I do roll well, that way. That's why you have a bio pages long and, and you're doing so much in our community and you're yeah. just a dynamic personality and a teeny tiny little package, by the way. <laughs> so Sam, talk to me about what's going on and how you are in our area specifically mm-hmm. and how long you've been here. Okay. So I have been in Arcata for about two and a half years um, originally from Los Angeles. And um, it's really interesting how I, I just, I don't believe in accidents. This is what I tell everybody. I'm like, I've gone through too much. I've seen too much. I can't like turn back now. So I don't believe in any accidents. But um, my partner had, and I were in Los Angeles and I had said, you know, I'm really, really ready to move somewhere. I want to go up north. I have no idea why. I've never been there. But I know that's where I'm supposed to be. And I said, but I don't want to go to the Bay. I don't want to go to Berkeley. I don't, like, I need small, small. Um, and he said, I think I might just have the place for you. And I said, really? So he had lived here for seven years before we reconnected. And he'd moved, and that's how we ended up together in L.A. And so he brought me up here maybe three and a half years ago to visit. And within day one. I was like, oh, yes, thank you. Click, click, Yes, click, please. Click, click. This yeah. is exactly where mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be. And so um, I actually went to Om Shala to take a yoga class, and I scheduled a workshop there. 
Nobody knew who I was. I just scheduled a back care workshop and Peggy Profant was amazing. And she said, sure, let's give it a try. And, you know, nobody knows you, but let's give it a try. And I said, great, I will travel back up here then in eight months and teach this workshop. Little did I know that within four months we would be living here. <laughs> oh my goodness. So That's just how things go. Right? I was like, oh, yes, again, yes. thank you for that mm-hmm. confirmation. So before I was even scheduled to teach that workshop, we were living here. It was like, went back to Los Angeles, started looking for homes. You know, my partner was like, it has to be this kind of house, this south facing on this street. Wow. And a house popped up. And that was that. So that's that's how I'm here. Wow. You know, why I'm here. I just believe my heart brought me here. Mm-hmm. That's Absolutely. why I'm here. Absolutely. My heart, my spirit, my soul brought me here. And I feel like I'm home. Mm-hmm. I'm home. This is my family. That's the best part is like arriving in a place and knowing that every single person I meet, I look at, I'm like, oh, yes, you're my family. Mm-hmm. How amazing. So it does feel like that. Yeah. 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 Thank you for sharing that because yeah. it definitely feels very close and connected. Yeah. And Humboldt has this way about it. And, you know, maybe you can comment about how you feel, but it brings you in. It super nourishes you. It's like it's planting you mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. And then it waters you and watches you grow. And like it does all yeah. of these beautiful things. And then I just feel like it's it's perfect for me. Yeah. It's been perfect for me. Yeah. I mean, this was the first place that I lived uh-huh. that I didn't want to leave within about a year. And not that I wanted to leave, <laughs> right. but that I felt like, okay, I'm ready to go. You know, like, okay, I've got something new to learn somewhere else, so right. on and so on. Right. But yeah, so wonderful. I'm glad to hear that you feel that <laughs> way as well. So talk to me a little bit about um, where you were at before here, because you mm-hmm. said Los Angeles. What a huge difference. Yeah. What were you doing there? I mean, it was only a few years ago. I would like to know what was going on there. Sure. Um, I was born and raised there. And so that's really the only home that I ever knew. And then before moving here, I owned a yoga studio in Los Angeles called Thera Yoga. And that's my personal brand as well. Um, And it was a fully therapeutically based yoga studio. It was kind of the first really around in several cities that was geared towards yoga for every single body. So every single person. And the intention was to have, you know, special conditions classes, which we did special conditions, um, back care classes, therapeutic alignment classes. And it was wonderful. It was really, really beautiful. So I cultivated this little family in Los Angeles, like in that way. I had had no interest in starting a yoga studio at all until it hit me that, oh, wait, therapeutics, you can bring this to groups of people not just one-on-one and why why aren't we addressing this in the yoga world like there's plenty of flow plenty of hot yoga plenty of booty yoga all these things that are great and fun and wonderful but where is the therapeutic like where's the holistic piece of yoga that it really felt to me that has been lost in our culture of of yoga practice that's I what I was doing right idea. before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that idea. So therapeutic and restorative. Yeah. And so what were some of your clientele like? Because I'm wondering, that spectrum is probably quite large. Very large. And, um, yeah. Yeah, very large. Um, you know, we had people in their early 20s all the way to people in their 80s. We had students who were 
mobile bodied that had not maybe had injuries and we had students that had full spinal fusions coming to yoga. So it was really about kind of breaking apart this paradigm of I can't do yoga. And that was that was the goal for me. That's what I wanted to support. And so I would get so excited every time a new student would walk in the door and they would say, so someone told me that I might be able to do yoga here. And I was like, yes, absolutely you can. And then they would give me like their list of things like, well, but I've got a, you know, knee replacement and a partially fused spine. And I was like, great. You can absolutely practice yoga here. So it became the safe haven for people to have a practice and to really benefit from a yoga practice. It's like, I never, ever want to hear anyone say, mm, I don't think I can do yoga. I'm like, mm, that's something I would very much like to change, like mm-hmm. in our culture. Yeah. It's just the type of yoga. Right. It's what modality you're practicing. Mm-hmm. So sure, that person's not going to go take a hot vinyasa flow class, nor should they. Exactly. But that doesn't mean that we need to take the yoga away from that person. You know, like the benefit of the practice, the benefit of the mindfulness, because this is what empowers us. This is, it's a, it's a modality that can empower us to be present in our own heart, in our body, you know, to really get to know ourselves and to have a being believe that that is not accessible to them. I'm not okay with that. <laughs> I'm just not okay with that. Mm-hmm. And so I always said to students, you know, I, I wor- I've worked a lot with, um, in drug recovery, in hospitals, with stroke victims. And there was a group I taught, quote unquote, yoga to at a hospital in Los Angeles, they were a group of stroke victims recovering from strokes. So their yoga looked very different than like what we might imagine yoga would be, but so beneficial for them to link, right? Yoga to yoke a union, to link the movement that they could do with their breath, with quieting the mind. How beneficial for healing, like we need those. So I've always stuck with this mantra, you know, if you can breathe, if you're still alive in your body on this plane of existence, if you're breathing, you can practice a form of yoga. There is something that can come and meet you where you are. That is so well said and so well put. Thank you for sharing that because I think maybe a lot of listeners from around, you know, the country may be looking at yoga in a particular way. Yes. And Mm. to share that you can come to yoga from wherever you are in whatever place and leave benefiting something, having benefit is so inspiring. Yeah. So I definitely appreciate you bringing that piece to the table. Being a physician and a practitioner of kundalini yoga, yes, I suggest to my patients a type of meditation and yogic practice. And I found that when I say the word yoga mm-hmm. to a lot of my patients, their faces look very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Already here is this woman in front of me telling me I have to juice right? And I have to start saying, I love myself in the morning. <laughs> That's the hardest one, likely. But now she's telling me I have to do yoga. And when I describe to them mm. the type of yoga that I'm asking them to partake in, totally opens a world. So we've talked about physical type of therapy mm-hmm. and this rejuvenation or restorative type of therapy for physical ailments. Mm-hmm. Do you find that you have students or clients who come to you from an emotional 
place because that's where people are coming to me. Yeah. And I'm using yoga and that meditation and that breath work for emotional Mm -hmm. alignment. And so do you find that to be happening as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, it's interesting because we can't separate it, right? I mean, I know you know this, right? That we can't really separate the physical and the emotional. And oftentimes I'll find that someone will come in with physical request, but really what's like wanting to be attended to is, is the emotional piece or maybe some trauma. And oftentimes they are though coming in with an emotional piece, depression or anxiety, um, past trauma that they're interested in healing. And so I do as you do, which is what we're really doing is giving people a prescription. Like I call it the holistic yoga, breathwork, mindfulness prescription. Um, and so absolutely people are coming in, you know, wanting help with depression, anxiety, insomnia, racing thoughts, you know, these types of things. It's really for me about looking at, okay, what might we be able to give this particular person if we're working one-on-one that is a physical asana that might be of benefit to them? Usually in these cases, it's going to be something in the restorative modality of yoga or might even be a yin yoga practice, which is quite therapeutic. And yin touches on fascia and all kinds of like really juicy things. And then an appropriate breath work, an appropriate meditation. Across the board, though, I almost always teach people metta, metta meditation, which is loving kindness. It's a mantra meditation. And boy, though, when you talk about it first, like I tell them they have to love themselves every day. That's terrifying, right? And so with metta, though, I get sometimes the same response. Like, wait, you want me to tell myself I love myself or that I wish myself well? And it's so fascinating to me. It's actually kind of heartbreaking to me how many people say the response is, I wouldn't know the first thing about how to do that. Compassion towards myself, what would that look like? And that's why I say, great, that's, this that's is why stem. you need the phrases. That's this is the exactly root. like mm-hmm. the fact that, that no one's ever held and supported a space for you to find love and friendliness towards your own heart this is why the practices are for you. And so I've been blessed that people have been willing to trust me a little bit to say, okay, I'm going to try this on and see how it goes. Well, because what you're saying is vibrating with them. Yeah. And I feel in my practice specifically that whenever I'm open to allowing new patients or clients to come into my reality, that it's absolutely perfect. Yes. Like we're vibrating on the same frequency. I'm talking on maybe a much higher frequency level of communication about ascension and blah, blah, blah. And I look at the person and my first gut instinct is they probably don't know what I'm saying. So I need to like check in with them. But the moment I make eye contact, I'm like, Oh no, they know everything I'm saying. So then we get to just jump right ahead and spend that hour and a half like really dedicated. So I imagine it's the same place for you that you just have to trust your instincts and just go there with some things and just tune right in. And I think that you mentioned it for a moment and I think that it's so important that our listeners understand this because some may on a certain level and I know that whenever I learn something Then a little bit later, I'll learn it all over again on a deeper level. So, you know, the listeners, hopefully, wherever they're at with this, can take away what they need. But the point being is that everything is energetic 
then it's manifested physically. So if someone's coming in, for example, like you were saying with depression Mm -hmm. or anxiety or stress, and they have problems with their neck and their spine, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, for you and I, it's so clear. Right. Uh, Right. You're like, what happened to you? You know, how did that program start? Because then emotionally you have that response and now physically your body's in a kink because of that response. So it's about going to the root cause of that and then kind of dialing out. Do you have a really awesome story about something really cool that's happened to you like that, that we can share with the listeners of, you know, you don't have to give names obviously, but one particular thing that would kind of echo that experience. Boy, I have so many. Honestly, I mean, my own story is huge in this way. This is how I came to the practice. So I think just because it it shows it pretty skillfully. So when I was 23, my daughter was just a few months old. And I went from being what I imagined was a really healthy young person to all of a sudden very, very sick. And my first career was in infant and toddler development. So I worked with children all day long and I got sick a lot, you know, so I was like, oh, I woke up one morning and I was like, oh, great. I have the flu. Sweet. Three, four weeks later, I still had the flu. Oh, wow. And at that point I was like, this can't possibly be the flu. Like I can't move without severe pain. So it had gone from the flu-like symptoms to feeling like I'd been hit by a truck and Mm. I could not get up and get out of bed. So in the process of 11 years and then two more years to fully recover, but in that time frame, I was guided to yoga. I was guided to bodywork therapy, which is why I do these things. I was guided to acupuncture and Ayurveda, which is why I always wanted to study both of those. But what happened for me was that I went to Western docs and there's a time and a place for Western medicine. Boy, we need it, but we need more than that, which is why these holistic practices are so valuable. It should be used as a last case scenario. Yeah, kind of right. Thing. Like, okay, mm-hmm. if we're really not sure, you know, sometimes, of course, surgical options, like my husband had to have surgical options. But again, he worked for 24 years with holistic modalities before he finally went, okay, I'm going to go the Western route. But he still has all the tools right. of the holistic I practice. everything has its place. Right. So I say this not as a judgment, but just as an example, this is really just my story. So I went to Western docs who wanted to just pump me full of every medication possible. I did not grow up in a holistic family. I grew up in the family of fear-based, you do what the doctor tells you to do, or you might die. Like that was how I was raised. So at 23, now maybe 24, I'm going to the doctors and they say, well, you have chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia. Um, They also found that I had Lyme's disease and then I had, I ended up with spinal meningitis on top. All in this very short period of time, I was diagnosed with these things that then they didn't know what to do with. You know, I'm grateful for antibiotics because that really helped the Lyme's disease. But what wasn't given on top of that was any advice as to what to do for the body once you've taken all the antibiotics. So antibiotics, I, I went through all pre-biotic. of that. Right. Yeah. All the went through stuff. all of that. And then my own experience of healing from that was that I was still in this mindset of like, mm, I got sick. Like somehow I just magically got sick. And I knew something wasn't right about the advice I was being given by Western medicine. 
And I sought out a holistic practitioner, holistic chiropractor, and an acupuncturist. And the holistic chiropractor was the person who said, go to yoga. You need to go take some yoga. And it's, it's a long story, so I won't go into it. But long story short, I went to a yoga class that was not appropriate for me. It was a vinyasa flow. I didn't know any better. I rolled up. And luckily, the teacher was so sweet and kind that after class, she said, um, I, I think I'd like to suggest a restorative practice to you. And I asked her what that was, and she described it as like laying on the floor with pillows and blankets. And I was immediately furious. I was like, why? I do that at home, and you want me to pay you to do that. Like, this was still the mindset. Mm. So in other words, I also understand the mindset that a lot of us still have about like around being given suggestions for these things. It can take time to like really break out of that paradigm. So I stormed off, and about a month later, I went, Okay, whatever this restorative thing is, it can't make it worse. So I'm just going to go. Like that, I was just desperate enough to like, great, I'll lay on your floor instead of my floor. And in that moment, being put in reclining butterfly with a lovely teacher, very sweet and supportive, with all of the props and not yet having had any experience with this ever before, I, I ended up in that asana. And within the first couple minutes, I just started sobbing 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 and I had no idea why and I intuitively knew I didn't need to know I just knew that whatever was occurring was perfect mm -hmm. and I could I was just you know being present with like this sadness that was arising and from there on out I knew I was like oh okay there's something to this and I'm really wanting to find out what it is. And so from there, my process of healing really began. Like that was the beginning of it. I didn't know why, but now I know why. I have an understanding as to why. And I've seen this occur in clients over and over and over again. In restorative, especially because the fascia is being affected and the parasympathetic nervous system is being affected. And as well in yin yoga, where again, it's a different modality. We're eliciting something slightly different, but the fascia is being affected and the parasympathetic nervous system is being affected. And so both of those practices in particular are so helpful in releasing, you know, kind of that stuck trauma and maybe they're little tiny traumas and maybe it's a bigger trauma but now scientifically we have a, a better understanding that fascia is affected by the hormones and chemicals that are being released during mm, emotional situations whether they're joyful or painful and so as the fascia gets lengthened and warmed and has a long period of time to be there some of these old memories via chemicals, hormones, cells become released. They just start to, to release and we connect more deeply into the body. And then my interest is in guiding people to their hearts because I really believe that's where the healing lies. Like Absolutely. That's where it lies. Thank you for sharing yeah. all of that. I'm, I have a million questions now. <laughs> I'm just like, huh. I have so many questions. So many things came oh. up, but... The first thing is, thank you for sharing that story. It's so detailed and so many people resonate with things that you've said. Mm. You know, sitting in a posture and just crying and letting it go is such an amazing piece. And those of us who have experienced that and we're able to really be present and have someone else say, leave the story, come back yeah. into your body yeah. and just guide you. That's worth a million dollars. 
So it's just incredible. Mm. And really for someone like yourself who's teaching, who's gone through that experience, who can hold space for other people, I mean, wow. Mm. Wow, what an honor to be with you. I mean, what a great healer that you are. So I want to, for the listeners, mm-hmm. kind of go back over a couple terms that you mentioned. Sure. Because, you know, those of us who live in the yoga world, we're like, oh yeah, of course we know this. But it's kind of nice to give um, some people who may not know a little bit more of a definition. Yeah. So can you tell us the difference between the yin yoga that mm-hmm. you mentioned and what restorative yoga yes. would look like? So can you tell us? Thank you for asking this question. This is my most (laughs) exciting question that I get. Oh, Oh I'm so happy right now. Oh, good, good, good. (laughs) I know. I'm I'm such a nerd and that's okay. All my students know that I am, but I so geek out. So I have to say this is one of my favorite questions because I feel like it's one of the most valuable. There has been a lot of confusion about restorative versus yin and every time I lead a restorative training we talk about this and every time I lead a yin training we talk about this they are very very different modalities and sometimes even there was a studio in Los Angeles that I was guest teaching at several years ago and I noticed on their schedule and the owner's awesome love her I was looking on their schedule and I noticed it said yin yoga a restorative practice And I I really gave her a loving suggestion to shift how that was worded because it's not. I mean, two different different things. So restorative yoga is meant to elicit as much neutral sensation as possible. Meaning in my world, in my book, in my view, to lead a skillful restorative class There must be props of some kind in the space. There must be enough blankets. There must be enough bolsters. There must be enough blocks to fully support someone's body reclining in an asana. Like, so for example, a child's pose should be fully supported. A reclining butterfly should be fully supported. In other words, I'm interested in the student being able to feel support under every single part of their body. Like I want to cocoon them in support, their joints, their everything, and elicit as much neutral sensation as possible and then offer breathing techniques, offer metta, offer some kind of point that they can continue to come back to in the practice. Because the difficulty oftentimes with restorative is that um You know, it might be something that a teacher might think, oh, I'm just going to give this person who's struggling with anxiety, I'm just going to give them this really super juicy restorative pose. And with the best of intention, they give them this great juicy restorative pose, but without anything for the mind and the heart to do, the more quiet the body becomes, because our movement is a distraction most of the time, the more quiet the body becomes, the louder the mind gets. And so I feel that we need to address both the physical and the mind and heart work in restorative. Yin, oh boy, yin is meant to elicit sensation. Okay. And so the unfortunate piece is that often, and this is one of the reasons that I've written a book about yin, is because I feel that as many fabulous, wonderful yin teachers as there are out there. Unfortunately, photography does do the practices a disservice because I have books that show restorative yoga and the poses look exactly the same as the books I have with yin yoga. 
And I take these to trainings with me and I just share them with students. I'm like, these authors are wonderful. I enjoy them. They, they're so valuable in the information they have, but this makes it look like they're the same practice. It just needs to be upgraded. It just need right. Yeah. I feel that it seems to, we need to be clear. That's what I'm doing with the book <laughs> is that we just could use some clarity in what are we asking students to feel? What are we interested in eliciting and helping support them with? So yin is generally a little difficult for most people because you won't use as many props. I'm hopeful there'll still be props available um, because they're very helpful. But we're actually trying to elicit sensation of stress. And I'm using the word stress, not as an emotional stress, but stress to the fascia, the extracellular matrix, which we have always called stretch. But what we now believe that we know, and everything's changing in the world of fascia very, very quickly. We're in the infancy. But what we know in terms of what we're feeling when we feel sensation of stretch, like someone takes a forward fold and they feel, they're like, oh, my hamstring. Well, yes, hamstrings are there, but what the brain, the nervous system is feeling first is the fascia, that sensation of the fascia. And so that's the stress that we're feeling in yin yoga. And that's actually what I'm interested in eliciting is some sensation in the practitioner. But when we have sensation and we feel like, oh, I'm not getting into this asana the way I should. Why can't I sink into this? Why can't I get there? I bring in the heart practices. More than in any other practice, I bring them into yin because I found that irritation arises, frustration, like this whole idea of the self-help work we're trying to do isn't going so well, and so we get really hard on ourselves. And so that's why I direct people to the heart. But there is really meant to be quite a difference between the two modalities, but both modalities trigger the rest and digest part of our nervous system. And this is one of the reasons that I just adore both of them. And wow. yin's getting kind of thrown out the window for a lot of different reasons. But I don't want to see that happen. I think it can be practiced very safely and very, very beneficially. Um, we just need more education, mm-hmm. right, in the field of yoga. I'm really excited to see that happening. Well, thank you for yeah. sharing that because I bet there's a lot of people that didn't know that. And so now practitioners can suggest this type of yoga is good for you. Instead of right. saying, why don't you go to yoga? Let's now dial it in. Yes. And as a community, start to say this particular type of yoga yeah. is going to work best for right. your particular body. Yeah. So tons of information and we're going to keep going. But for right now, it's time to take a short break. And give a shout out to a local aligned business that I love so very much, and I know that you will too. Om Shala Yoga in Arcata, California is Humboldt County's premier yoga studio. We offer daily classes in many styles of yoga, as well as sauna, massage, special events, expert teachers, and community. Our classes are appropriate for beginners and all levels of practitioners. Yoga is for everyone. Visit www.omshalayoga.com for our class schedule or for more information. Namaste. Welcome back. Well, we always have so much fun during the break, but I think that was just a little bit more fun than usual. (laughs) 
Um, we sprayed ourselves with some rose water and Sam, you told me a whole bunch about fascia because I, this is the reason mm. why I've been trying to connect with you is yeah. because of my fascia fascination. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, can you tell the listeners just exactly what fascia is and the technology up until this point, what we've learned right. about the fascia? Cause it's supposedly the newest organ that they found right. or something, which right. I don't know about all that, Right. but what do you think? What's... Tell me about it. Yeah, so it is interesting because there was just this article that came out, which is making osteopaths really happy and people like myself, like MFR therapists, really happy because we have been talking about fascia for a long, 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 long time, but Western medicine has not been really talking about it. And so now osteopaths are like, oh, thank goodness, finally the studies are showing, you know, so so many beautiful things about interstitial fluid and interstitial tissues, which really is about the extracellular matrix, the fascia. So let's see how to keep this really short about fascia kind of is there are only three systems in the body that if you took them out of the body, you would see the entire structure of the body, including the brain. And that's the nervous system, the circulatory system, and the extracellular matrix. So it's like if you go to body worlds and you see like the nerves and you can see the whole body, it's like, oh, that's so rad. You can do that with the circulatory system because it flows through the whole body. The myofascial network is the only other part of the body that you can also do this with. And so fascia, as we know it now, and I'm sure this will change, um, we're listing nine different types of fascia. Some are connective tissue, some are gelatinous, some are like mucus, you know, Um, but they're all right now kind of lumped into the fascia bucket. And the Fascial Congress is talking a lot about trying to separate out, like, well, wait, are there differences between the types of fascia? So that might come. Fascia is different from muscle in that fascia is considered to be yin and muscles are yang. Muscles are fast twitching, firing, you know, like when we do vinyasa flow, you're getting the muscles, but you aren't changing or shifting or lengthening the fascia it's pretty much staying the same. So if you want to shift the fascia in the body, the fascia is forming the body. So if somebody is kyphotic and their spine is rounded, that's in large part because of the way the fascia has formed. That can all be changed. It just takes time. So just the same way that we have neuroplasticity, we have fascial plasticity. So it takes three months to 36 months, depending on the person, the body, the injury, to shift and change fascia. But how we many, can. How long did you say? Three months to 36 months. Okay. There's like kind of this magic target for most people that seems to be almost two years. Like I have a student right now who's really been working on his fascia and really been like, I'm on this. I want to change what's happening in my body so that I don't have pain. And it was almost literally like the two-year mark. I looked over at him the other day in Triangle. And I was like, I walked over expecting to see your pelvis the way it always looked. And it's completely different. And the look on his face is like, I know, it's my fascia. So my students are always like, is the answer fascia? Like anytime I ask a question, they're like, it must be fascia. So I'm just a total fascia nerd. But so yeah, I really see in most of my clients that are working to shift fascia six months to two years, but we can change it. And it's in the entire body. The only two places that do not have fascia that we know of right now are the crura of the diaphragm, which are the attachments of the diaphragm at T12, and the small intestines. So mm, there's some debate about that as to maybe why. 
But otherwise, fascia is completely interwoven into our entire bodily systems. There are superficial layers. There are deeper layers. We now really have come to believe in the world of anatomy that the meridians, because fascia has to be wet, it's conductive. We now know that fascia lights up inside the body. There have been scientific studies that show that. So we really are light beings. This isn't like woohoo. It's like oh, we are light inside. And the meridians, our chi, has to run through the fascia. It makes perfect sense. And so in acupuncture and acupressure, we're targeting fascia and stagnancy in that system of the body. So in a nutshell, that's, you know, it's interwoven in our bones, in our cells, in our organs, it's everywhere. And if it begins to dry out, problems. Like we have a problem you know, if it's drying out. So we just need to keep hydrating. Moving. Yep. Keep our body yep. in motion. Yes. So it's, it's movement. It's it's any kind of physical movement that really targets the fascia, body work, ball rolling, all of these types of things, really, really beneficial to our myofascial network. And one of my teachers believes that, and he's been going back and forth to China trying to investigate this, but believes that when fascia becomes stagnant, the chi becomes stagnant as well. Of course. Of course. Yeah. And then that that's affecting the organ pairing or the system. Of course. And so he's trying to hone in on the science of that, which is mm-hmm. a little tricky because we're talking about chi. But it's really fascinating that he's like, oh, I know this has to be the case. So can we find the science behind it? So fascia really is, it's fascinating. And I love <laughs> fascia. It's so fascinating. <laughs> and it's really a cool thing to start looking into. And we're going to get more and more and more information on it very quickly. It's changing. It's a great time to be alive because all of these things that we know intuitively to be true are now being proven. Yep by right. the scientific measures right, that are right. needed for, you know, a third dimensional reality consumer. Right. 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 Who's subscribing to that particular program yeah. of reality. Yeah. They need that in order to make sure it works. You know, that's happening. And yeah. it's just, it's a beautiful time. It is. It's a beautiful time it to is. be alive in that way. So you mentioned MFR. Mm-hmm. And can you tell the listeners what that is real quickly? Yeah. The myofascial release therapy. Okay. Right. So um, myofascial release therapy is really basically a body work practice that is different than Swedish massage or even just good old deep tissue massage that's like landing on trigger points. Instead, myofascial release is meant to actually help shift the structure of what might be going, I don't like the word wrong, but malaligned if something's malaligned. So a shoulder issue or a leg, a hip, a pelvis issue, psoas issues, these types of anatomical alignment issues. And so in myofascial release, it's long held pressure. So you have to hold fascia for a long period of time. So you think of a credit card and you have to like bend it several times before it starts to get warm. That's what fascia is like it takes time Mm -hmm. so to really create change in it you have to hold it and then you have to move that part of the body so for example if I'm working with somebody they've got some rotator cuff stuff or a pec minor type of thing we're going to hold the muscle and the fascia in a particular way 
and then ask that client to move their body like in a stretch or I'm going to move it while they're passive and it's going to take a period of time. So it's a different type of body work when people come into it. Sometimes they're like, oh, what is this really? And they're kind of expecting like a fast moving massage and it's more like, no, it's a little bit like PT, yoga therapy and body work pretty much rolled into one package. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And because you're bringing so many pieces from so many different things that you're doing, yeah. you're really coming with a professional eye yeah. to something like that. I'm yeah. so glad you're doing all of these Thank things. You. I'm so glad you're here Me so too. I can learn about them. <laughs> Maybe I can get into you before yes, this gets out right. on the podcast. Because <laughs> you're going to have people knocking I know, on I'm your already booked seven weeks out. So <laughs> call me. Well, <laughs> I'm going to slide my card over right now. You just make it happen. Um, (laughs) I will. I promise. So there are so many Mm. things that you do to help your clients and your students Mm. through all your workshops and programs, which I'd love to have even more time to talk about those. But if we were putting together a self-care recipe for what we would be creating a superhuman, this is a question I love to ask on this. Oh, my. Because this is where we get your juice. Yeah. Your (laughs) professional opinion to make everyone perfect. Yeah. Um, what would that be? What would that mm, look like? And just yeah. a couple things because sure. you're really pulling from all of your right. expertise and all of your years of doing all yeah. these different things, which I'm highly vibrating with, highly resonating with. So tell me just a couple. Oh gosh, superhuman. Um, I first have to, I first have to address, otherwise my students would strangle me. You know, each superhuman is going to be different, right? Yes. We're all so different. Yes. But if we're really talking about, okay, superhuman, one, I believe everyone can benefit from some form of meditation, yes. whatever that might be for them, right? And, and it changes. So meditation, heart practice, regardless of the differences in our body, our minds, like we all, that's the one I give. Maybe that's it, Pepper. That is how we can build a superhuman. I agree. Heart practice. Maybe there's nothing else that's needed. Okay. Because if we turn to the heart, like I'm just, I'm recognizing like, yeah. oh, you hit on something. Because if all we do is orient towards the heart and listen to the difference between the wisdom of the heart and the wisdom of the ego, the heart is going to make it very clear what is needed. Absolutely. That's an intuitive wisdom. And then that may be all that we need. Because if we really commit to that, then all of the answers, I think they're all already in us. So then the answers come. Oh, maybe then it's like, oh, this is the type of yoga I need. Or yeah. this, I need some acupuncture. Or maybe I need to change this about my diet. So that's my superhuman. You just feel into it. Yeah. And you automatically know if it's right you for know. you or not. Yeah. Um, I love that you mentioned that and that that's your like, okay, that's it. <laughs> that's it. It's I don't the know hardest, actually. This is what it's I understand. I, yes. <laughs> I understand at this moment. Um, it was all the rose water. It was. But, but <laughs> I do have a little piece there. Sure. I typically suggest yeah. to patients yeah. and students that the difference between the ego mm-hmm. and the heart yeah. is very simple, yeah. as I have learned it thus mm-hmm. far. Mm-hmm. And other people may have their opinion, but this is where I'm at. That if you are happy, it makes you feel good, mm-hmm. it's positive, yeah. it's lovely, it's kind, Yeah. then it's the heart space. Right. If it's fearful, if it's uncomfortable, if there's anxiety, if it leads you to a place of depression or anything else. Right in that right. vibrational frequency, right. then it's typically the ego. ego. 
And so it's just that simple. And some people, you know, it's a little on the gray side, you know. Sure. But for the most part, when you hear a thought within yourself, that inner dialogue that you have created over years and years of time, picking a piece from here and there and whoever, right? right? Does that make you feel happy? And if it doesn't, maybe take a moment to use something like a meditation to breathe, to get back into the heart space. Mm -hmm. Or for me, it's to get back into alignment with my higher self. Right. And so you talked about briefly getting into that heart space or heart practice. Yeah. How do we do that? Right? Oh, I love this question because this is not easy. I, you know, I say this to students and clients all the time. Like I come at it and I'm like, just love yourself. And they're like, what? You know, like this, it's a long process. And the thing what I feel is really valuable to share is that heart practices using mantra, coming in and asking your heart, like, are you all good? Like on a regular basis, it's a purification process. And so I don't want to pretend in any way that like dropping into the heart space isn't painful, difficult, frightening, like all of those things can occur because practices like metta, because that's what I use, that's my tool. It's a purification process because what's occurring is that everything that is not love is beginning to arise. You're giving it the space to arise so that it can clear. And then what you're left with is love. But this can take a lifetime. It's like a, it's a continual practice. But so many students will email me about something else. Like they'll be like, oh, that yin class is blah. And how do I do this? And, and the very last line will be like, P.S. I'm pretty sure that metta is changing my life. And that hasn't even been the main like scope of practice. It's just something I give them to use during. And I'm like, Yes, this is great. Meta may just be changing my life. So Can you elaborate on meta. Yeah, so meta so meta is um there are meta practices in all spiritual traditions. It's not just Buddhist. This form of meta comes from Buddhist tradition and it's phrases and it's so easy because you can change the phrases, you can make them be whatever is relevant to you. Traditional phrases are may I be happy and peaceful, may I be healthy and strong. May I be safe and protected from inner and outer harm. May I be loved and may I live with ease. And those are the traditional phrases. And I find that oftentimes someone will say, hey, that one statement really resonated with me. Can I use that? Yes. You can use one word. Or it might just be, may I be patient, right? So there's so many different ways you can use this, but the purpose of it is that the mind is always practicing something. And if we really check in to what that paradigm is and what that vibration is, we generally find it's an old afflictive belief system. And because it's always practicing that, I'm just offering a different practice that's of a different vibration that is loving and kind so we're creating new ruts or connections in the brain new samskaras right so we're actually changing the brain Mm -hmm. and what i suggest to students is practice for 10 minutes seated a day until you discover that you are walking around all day long and when you check in you notice that you're practicing loving kindness, right? So this is a practice I've been doing now for 18 years and I trust my heart. So these loving kindness practices, this is how I think we begin to like really get into the juiciness of getting to remember who we are. Who are we? Like, who am I? Well, my ego is not going to give me the beneficial answer, but I know that my heart is. And trusting your heart enough to know 
that when you came, you went straight into Amshala, <laughs> asked right. to do, yes. do a program <laughs> or a workshop right. in eight months, and was here within four. I mean, that's right. powerful stuff, yeah. Sam. <laughs> Thanks. You, you've got it together. Um. I like you a whole bunch. <laughs> I am honored. I love you. <laughs> well, with this being said, you know, what is your life mantra? Because yeah. we got a little tidbit of um, you suggested a mantra earlier. Yeah. You're giving mantra out to right. students. But what is yours? Mine. I want to know. Right. <laughs> I want to know the deets. Um, I guess, you know, it's really just a continual orient towards your heart. Like, I say this to myself. Like, What is it that you say to yourself? We want to know. Mm. I orient towards my heart and I'm like, are we all good? How are you in there? Like you and I, are we all good? You know, this reminds me of the work that I do with patients in office and therapy. Mm. And it's a quantum alignment that I've kind of taken a little bit from the child self work. But that sounds like what you're doing on a different level. You're really asking your inner self. I mean, is that... Yes, that's absolutely it. I mean, to to not name it, child self-work. Right. But you're really like saying, hey, little, you know, how are you? How are you? I love that. It's the source energy. This is just the belief system that I have and what I've been shown and experienced that our heart space, that's where the source Mm -hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. This is why we're all so deeply connected. And there's a heart math program that's shown. I love heart math, right? Love ah, heart math. I love yes. them. Love that, that we do communicate. Our hearts communicate and vibrate, right? On a different level than the mind does. There's something yes. different. And so, yeah, it's getting back to our source. That question of who am I? Not from ego, the I, but like feel into, like really contact what's happening here right now and then invite it in. Invite sadness, invite anxiety, invite those things that we've been taught are a problem or make us broken. Invite them in to sit with you because you'll never be whole unless you invite that in and you just wrap loving arms around it to the best of your ability. I absolutely love that because if we don't do that for ourselves, we're not going to find that in our external reality. No. And then we're just going to keep wanting it or asking for it or looking for someone to treat us better or whatnot. Right. But it's truly, yeah. Yeah. So thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Um, Now, we are getting to the end of our show, but I still have a couple things I want to ask you. (laughs) Sure. One is what kind of self-rituals do you do for your Mm -hmm. personal self? Um, I know that you shared with us what you do for clients or what you suggest for students. And you've also suggested that little, you know, connecting with your source in your heart space. But what are your basic daily rituals that you can share with us? Sure, sure. So I have a, a daily meditation practice. So I always take time to sit on a daily basis. I do, I practice metta every day, even though I love Vipassana and those traditions, but I stay with my heart. Um, I do a little yoga. I practice some yin every day. I work with stomach spleen for myself personally and liver gallbladder. Those are kind of the places that I work with with yin specifically. Um, I make sure I walk almost every day. Gosh, what else do I do? I nourish myself as mindful as I can about food that's appropriate for my dosha and, and all of that good stuff. Those are really kind of my rituals. I do a little abhyanga practice, you know, here and there. So like self-oil massage, dry brush. I'm always trying to pimp out the dry brushing to everybody. Me um, too. Yeah, I'm like, please dry brush. You will thank yourself. Your skin and body will thank you. So yes, yeah, so those are kind of my regular making sure that I get meditation. 
some form of yoga in. Um, and then of course it shifts and changes, you know, like as things change with the season. And so I go from like my own vinyasa practice to yin practice to restorative practice, but it feels to me that, you know, everyone could benefit from on a daily basis, the commitment to their heart, to some mindfulness, right? To some movement, whatever that, whatever feels good to them in their body and nourishing themselves with, you know, good food, healthy food. And I also, you know, I do my very best part of my, my commitment to myself is to do my best to stay away from afflictive vibration and to really just invite in things that feel loving and supportive and kind. Thank you for sharing that because I really love that you added that piece. I think we all do that, but to express it and share with the listeners, I hate to say that it's almost the end of our (laughs) podcast because you've been so much fun. Um, The last thing we're going to do is we're going to choose a healing card. Yay! I, know. I love these so much. So, do you know this particular deck? I don't know wisdom that, or healing cards. I don't know that okay. particular deck. But. I just love cards. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do is I'm going to have you choose any card that you'd like and you can do that by energetically scanning or just visually looking at the pictures or however you like. So I'll let you shuffle those. And for today, I have a sweet little singing bowl. Let's see if we can do it. Hey. Oh, I just learned how to do it. <laughs> Ta-da! Usually I just hit the side of it. Oopsie, That's, that was kind of loud. That was beautiful. like that. But it, does, it has a special mallet thing. It's yeah. like so beautiful. But this is not mm. it. This is actually my mortar pestle. Hey. <laughs> Whatever works. <laughs> That's why I just hit it on the side. But it's an amazing bowl. And you know what? I've never shared this with anyone, but I feel inclined to share it with you guys. I, Whenever I first started my practice, oh, it's a heart. this was the bowl that I started. I had it on my desk, this desk, six years ago. And I asked for unlimited potential and success in health and wellness and healing. And then later, I added another that says I attract high vibrating clients who love and appreciate what I do and what I offer. And so ever since then, all of my assistants or any of my receptionists that take money from clients in any way or gifts in any way, they always place it in a bowl and I ask them to say, Thank you, because this makes all of this happen. And so if my people don't do that, I'm like, hey, you forgot the major piece of you put it in there and you hold (gasps) it. And so that bowl. I know. Dang. Right? That's some power. And that's the one I'm playing for everyone every time. So that vibrates out through the cosmos. Anyways, that's beautiful. (laughs) I love hearing this. This is such a great, great, beautiful idea. Thank you. I love it. What a beautiful intention. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that. Oh, yeah. Thank you for listening to it. I appreciate you. (gasps) This is great. How interesting. Release the need to complain. My partner would be laughing hysterically (laughs) right now. (laughs) Because I'm always like, I don't complain. I've been saying this for years. Like, I don't complain. And then as soon as I check in, this has been more recent, which is why this is fascinating. As soon as I check in, I like listen to what I just said. And I'm like, wow, that actually sounded like a complaint. (laughs) Is that the woman in the dress with the gray, beautiful hair? I've had that one many times. (laughs) 
<laughs> I really have. But I love the birds. The birds remind me of my best friend in Los Angeles who Aww. just loves, loves, love birds. We are always talking about birds. Today's lesson, honestly assess whether you're a complainer. No matter whether you share complaints with others or keep them to yourself, this tendency is a way of looking at a situation without seeing its potential blessings. Your goal to release the predilection to complain and instead see the positive side of things. Wow. Thank you. How does that resonate? This is great. It happens to resonate really deeply with me right now, today, because, you know, as I'm in service to my own heart and the more and more deeply that I really make that commitment, right, to act and, and experience from the space of my heart, because this has been a topic in my household, it's, it's really fascinating because if I'm really coming from the space of my heart, like complaining is such a kind of a negative way, like those old stories and tapes. And to me, the flip side is radical honesty, Right? And radical honesty is so much more helpful because we can then work with it. A complaint is just like, like I hear Charlie Brown's parents, right? Like, somehow, like to me, that's a complaint. But if I can switch from kind of this habitual pattern that I have of not realizing how easily, like, I might complain or nitpick, you know, like it was yesterday, I was like, well, do you want to go out and take a really beautiful walk in this cold, damp weather? <laughs> You know, it was like, it was a complaint though. It was like, it's damp, it's cold, you know. And my partner was like, wow, that did not sound appealing at all. But honestly, if you don't like the weather, why not just speak to that? And I was like, oh, I'm, I complained again. I, I complained again. This is so fascinating. So helpful and so meaningful because again, it's like, okay, what's workable? What's beneficial? What's true, right? So just this piece of radical honesty of, what is and there's no problem with being like mm, yeah I don't like this much like mm, this is not very comfortable but then why not say that instead of have a whole other energy attached to I see yeah right the language of the word complain to me also comes with some baggage of afflictive energy and I would much prefer to just be radically honest and then I just remind myself it all is impermanent like the sun's up there underneath all of the clouds. So just being radically honest and being okay with it. I, yeah, my body doesn't love this weather. It will change. Though. And then moving on. And then moving on. Yeah, I like that. Like here's what's actually occurring. Can we accept what is? Like I think, and that's really the bigger piece in general. Can we contact what is and can you just be as friendly towards what is as possible? It's not always going to be pleasant. And if it is, again, we've got a problem. We've got a problem if we're always looking for pleasant. It ain't going to happen. Sam, you're awesome. <laughs> I think you're always going to be pleasant in my eyes. <laughs> oh, so I thank, thank you, you so much for taking time in and being so prompt and doing everything to make this happen today. So thanks for coming on the show. And I hope that something that you have said that the listeners can really resonate with to get a little bit more aligned to their higher self, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. How do we connect with you personally? Sure. If we want to come to some of your workshops or to make an appointment with you. Sure. Yeah. Great question. So my website is a great way to get in touch with me. It's long. It's Thera, T-H-E-R-A, yoga, Y-O-G-A, method. 
M-E-T-H-O-D. So it's theraryogamethod.com is my website and all of my trainings and programs are there for the next year and a half. Uh, I teach locally at Om Shala Yoga here in Arcata. I teach seven classes a week, and I'm leading multiple teacher trainings through Om Shala, which is wonderful. And then I'll also be teaching some classes at Pali Yoga in Eureka as wow. well. Oh, yeah, so, so I'm bringing more yin to the community. Um, but theraryogamethod.com is a great way to find me and email me and contact me for sessions or just questions or just to chat about your heart. Wow. Thank you so much. What what a busy life that you lead. Um, thank you so much to the listener for tuning in. And until next time, I'm your host, Dr. Pepper Hernandez. I would love it if you would have a magical, wonderful day. And let's try to make this your best week ever. <laughs> This episode has been brought to you by Cozy Loyal Dog Companions.